Welcome to the Newberry Tart Podcast. Your hosts, Marcy and Jenny, are talking and drinking their way through Newberry award-winning books, past and present. Hi, and welcome back to the Newberry Tart Podcast. This is season two, which concerns 2014, and episode two, which is about the year of Billy Miller by Kevin Henkes. This was published by Green Willow Books, which is an imprint of HarperCollins Publishers. I'm Marcy. And I'm Jenny. Today, we're going to be drinking an orange blossom cocktail that consists of orange juice, gin, citron, um, grenadine, and lime juice. And we'll talk about our reactions to that um, later. But we chose an orange blossom cocktail because oranges are good luck in Chinese culture. At least the um, internet told me that. The internet often lies, but I hope it's right this time because this is actually pretty good. All right, so we're going to tell you something about the book. This is from the Horn Book. Billy Miller is having a momentous year, beginning with a tumble over a guardrail, resulting in a minor bump and major worry, and proceeding with a stream of second-grade Sturmundrang. He gets off on the wrong foot with Ms. Silver. His seat isn't next to his best friend Ned, and he worries he may not be smart enough for school. Hankus divides the novel into four parts, each with a focus on someone in Billy's life, teacher, father, sister, and mother. Okay, so to open with, it mentions he gets a lump on his head. This happens in the first, like, two pages of the book. He is with his family at the um, at Mount Rushmore, okay? And I've been to Mount Rushmore, and I can totally imagine this happening. Not to myself, but to someone else, of course. But when I was at Mount Rushmore a couple years back, I saw one of the funniest things I've ever seen. So we were walking down into the amphitheater, to go to the bathroom. Like you have to walk down past the amphitheater down to the lower level in the museum to go to the bathroom. And there was a young man, I think a little older than second grade, he's probably about 10 or 11, and he bounced off the corners, like it's kind of a, a high-walled staircase, but it is stone. He kind of bounced off the walls just on his feet, and he was with his grandmother, and he turns to his grandmother and says, look, Grandma, that was parkour. And she was like... <laughs> That's not that impressive. And I always thought that was so funny. I was wondering at first how that would be possible just to like run off the edge of a platform and fall and hurt yourself. But then I remembered when I went to Grand Canyon and I literally saw some kid fall in and his his dad caught him by his belt, like the back of his belt. But there's no railings or anything, you know, it's just, and I was like, they didn't plan these national parks very well in some cases. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of the national parks have not been upgraded since they were built in the whenevers well and also i think grand canyon is maybe a special case because when we were there like not only are there like it's these like gravelly trails with no railings but also like the big thing there is to ride a mule down but it's the same path that people are walking on so you've got like actual like loaded up mules with people on them trying to pass regular people and and no railings or anything it was i was terrified the whole time i was hanging to the interior wall roots you know, <laughs> coming out of the wall and I'm hanging onto them and I didn't want to do it. So I really want to go there at some point. But <laughs> it was yeah. impressive, but I was terrified. I didn't think about them using the same paths. That's something to remember. I mean, maybe it's changed. This was in eighth grade, so 1993. Oh, yeah, maybe. But they probably don't have room to make two separate paths. So No, yeah. but maybe they put in railings. Yeah. Although the idea of putting in that much railing. I think they put in some, but... I mean, I think that's part of the Grand Canyon trip and the tradition of a Grand Canyon trip. Like you, you were going to take a picture or get close to an edge you shouldn't, <laughs> yeah. you know, like 
you're going to want to defy that. What's well, vacation that. without a near death experience? Of course. And I actually the when he when the description of the fall and then he woke up with the lump on his head. It actually it didn't seem that far fetched just because there seemed to be a lot of like like if there were railings they were kind of the open railings. Mhm. And I could see I could see a kid just thinking they were going to reach out and just grab it and then misjudging and completely tipping over. Having taken my children to the emergency room in the past six months for uh, such things as cutting their face open on the frame of a mirror. Not the sharp <laughs> part, but just like a regular mirror that's oh, not God. broken. Or swallowing a button battery. I would believe almost any kind of injury. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So glad they're okay. <laughs> I know, me too. <laughs> Anyway, so all of this happens in the first two pages of the book, but clearly we're very interested already. Um, and and then we learn that um, it's actually the year of the rabbit, and so um, are they? They're celebrating the Chinese New Year. I think they just talk about it momentarily, okay. like, "Oh, it's the year of the rabbit." Yeah, before the second, the first day of second grade, and um, earlier Billy had heard his parents talking. He like overheard them. Basically, he was eavesdropping. And he heard part of a conversation he heard, I think his dad say that he was worried about Billy. And so Billy interprets this as like that he is not going to be okay in second grade. Especially that he's not smart enough. And he completely internalizes it. And that is something that comes up again and again in the book. But his dad tells him, and not knowing that this is what's going on, but just sort of sensing that something's not quite right. He just says, you know, this is the year of Billy Miller. So the whole theme of the book is that while it may be the year of the rabbit, it's it's Billy's year, and this is just going to be his year to do his thing. You were telling me something about a uh, year of the rabbit story time. Oh yes. So at the bookstore where I work, it's an independent children's bookstore, and every year we do a Chinese New Year story time. And this book particularly made that made me think of that because when it was the year of the rabbit, when it was turning the year of the rabbit. And we had the most amazing story time, not because of the books that we read, but um, Knuffle Bunny Free had just come out, and we had this big backdrop that the publishers had sent of different locations that Knuffle Bunny might have traveled, and there was a big like uh, Asian-style temple, which was really cool. It was just a photo. It wasn't a drawing or anything. So we had that as a backdrop, a backdrop for the party, and this little girl out of nowhere brings in this dog carrier, and when she opens it up, she has this gigantic rabbit, like this giant rabbit. And not like a little like normal breed of pet rabbit where it's like a, you know, a Holland Lop or something with a tiny bunny with the floppy ears. This was a big, big ass rabbit. <laughs> and, and he was so big that when she tried to pick him up, he was like flopping over her arm. And he was so docile that all these kids were just swarming over and petting him. And he didn't care. He was just like, you're smaller than me whatever do your thing that i'm sure that it was lovely but it sounds really creepy it was, <laughs> it was <laughs> amazing really well and this little girl was so happy that she brought her pet to show off and mm. all the other kids were like oh my god giant rabbit this is so cool and it was it was really cool yeah i think like if i had been there i would have thought it was awesome i think in the abstract it just sounds horrifying <laughs> like it sounds like the rabbit at any moment could have just commandeered the bookstore and like just taken over i think i have a soft spot for weirdly giant rabbits though because when i was a kid my mom really likes pet rabbits and mm -hmm. we had a normal pet rabbit little black one and we also had this other rabbit that we had gotten from what in retrospect was probably a sketchy source because it was not a normal pet store rabbit and it got bigger 
and bigger and bigger until it was probably uh, guesstimating now. I'm, I'm guessing it was a good 20, 25 pounds, this rabbit. It was just a big brown rabbit, but <laughs> so scary. <laughs> but, but he was so great. He was this giant chill rabbit, right? And it was Florida, so it was warm enough outside. My dad built a sort of outdoor pen. It was all enclosed, mm-hmm. so nothing could get at them, but it was way too big to live in the house. It was the size of a small dog, at least. Almost, That's, it's almost a medium dog size. I'm, I'm very glad you have good memories, and I'm very <laughs> glad that it was a, a wonderful rabbit to you. But that is that's scary. Well, that to me sadly was our most successful pet story as as children. Uh-oh. So Uh-oh. yeah, I'm not going to go down that path today. <laughs> Billy's little sister Sal has what I think is one of the most adorable things in the book and might be one of the most endearing um, things that I've read in a long time. She has these, are they bright yellow whales? Yeah, so they're yellow plush whales. And she got one and it was like, I can't remember what it was called, but it was like Raindrop. Raindrop was the original drop sister, yes. Yes. And, um, And then a bunch of people in the family got her backup raindrops just in case. But she, she found, found them, them all. <laughs> and so there's like four or five whales that she carries around like in a pillowcase and calls them the Drop Sisters. Because <laughs> their, name, their names all end with drop. Yeah, so there's like sun drop and raindrop. Snow drop and, and yeah. yeah. It's very, very cute. I think that this just highlights one of the things that I really like about this book, which is that Kevin Hankus knows how to write kids. Like, yeah. This, uh, there, there's a whole age spectrum for Newberry qualifying books and this would definitely be on the younger end but it is so perfectly done and it captures not only the main character's voice so well but even just the the supporting characters that don't have a huge role in the plot like he just gets them so exactly right and even like those little parenting moments like having to buy backup plushies for your kid and then having them find the plushies and insist on keeping them like he just gets all of that exactly right yeah, I really love that. I love that he gets the... I, I was telling someone early, like a few days ago that um, my my two-year-old doesn't have interests. She has obsessions. And I feel like that's definitely something that Hankus captures really, really well. Like, just, you know, the fact that Billy's very concerned for like the whole year about his future. And he's in second grade. <laughs> and oh, so sweet yeah and and his sister with the with the drop sisters and um there's a a thing that happens later on where he uh, billy decides he's going to stay up all night because he thinks it'd be fun and he barely you know he barely gets to nine o'clock and then he gets to 11 and he enlists his sister to stay up with him and and promises her this little pearl if if she stays up with him and they don't even last till like eleven thirty. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I I love that part of those parts of his books like Lily and the Purple Plastic Purse, like it, just it, this. It does feel a lot like yeah. those. This idea, I think, that a lot of kids end up kind of attaching themselves to objects or to ideas because that's what they can control. Um, I think that's very real and very much at play. And like we said, they divided the book up into four sections, which are teacher, father, sister, mother. So in the first section, the teacher is the focus and 
basically tells Billy that she thinks that he's smart. And the really nice thing about that is that I think a lot of the reason why I like this book is because for me, it, it is a very short read and it's very simple, but it's super useful because it points out the fact that like even a small word of encouragement to somebody, even if you don't even think that they need it necessarily, you don't know. And it can make a huge, huge difference. So the teacher just says this small thing to him and it changes everything. It changes his whole outlook. In particular with kids, I think that comes into play a lot. Um, and I think, and, and I, I remember stuff that my teacher said to me. I remember stuff that other kids said to me too. That's one of the really beautiful things I think about this book is you see how thoughtful Billy is and he doesn't even try to be most of the time. Um, and I think it's really important to have books about boys that are like this. Yeah, he's just a gentle, thoughtful, slightly anxious person. He tries his best, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> which is nice. Yeah. And of course, all the little drawings that Henkes puts in the book are so adorable. I mean, they're absolutely adorable. They are so sweet. There's even one that's just a little nail that he gives to his teacher. Like, something as simple as that, and it's just a nice, sweet little drawing. And he gave it to her because... Her name is Miss Silver, and the nail is silver. And he wanted to show her that he's a nice person. <laughs> it was adorable. I mean, this book is filled with very small plot points, and it's a quiet story, but it just has, like, the internal life of kids happening and mm -hmm. brought up so you can see it and remember it. Yeah. I really like it. <laughs> I really like it, too. And I think that it's really important. Like I said, I think it's really important that it's a boy book. Yes. Um, and I feel like for a long time, it's been a tradition in children's literature that boys have adventures, girls have experiences. And I, I've been glad to see that that's changing over time. Um, because not every boy, little boy, is an adventurer. That's you know? true. Some of them are very thoughtful and some of them are... Um, not, you know, but I think it's so great that we're getting more and more representations of different types of personalities in kids. Not that there's just one type of kid personality. Another really good example of that is the book um, we just, just today got finished interviewing Erin Entrada Kelly, who was talking about her Newbery winner, but also her book that's about to come out called You Go First. And I think that that book really strikes that note as well. Like that has a, a male and a female main character and it goes back and forth between the two and she is the one that has the adventures and he is the one that has the sort of social emotional thoughtful experiences mm -hmm. which is really nice mm -hmm. so the second section of the book is called father um, which is not what he calls his dad he calls him papa which I love because our kids call us mama and papa but the dad is is not what I would consider a traditional dad in middle grade children's books either. He is an artist. He's got red hair and a beard. He stays home. He's a little bit of a frustrated artist working on non-traditional art too. It's not a painter. He puts things together out of out of found found items. He goes to the dump and brings back cellos and gloves and springs and mannequin arms. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but he's still super supportive and he's there all the time. He's very involved. Like they make some dioramas, and I oh love. Oh my god! The descriptions I so wanted to make a diorama. I was yeah. like, we should sit here and make dioramas while we talk. <laughs> I, 
Yeah, I, it was so charming. In particular, the parts where Billy is creating stuff with his dad. Um, and, and during the course of the book, his dad gets kind of, um, like he's lost his inspiration. And Billy's really worried about his dad. And so he, after the diorama um, making... Billy suggests to his dad that he should make dioramas. Yeah, his dad is so good at helping and helping them figure out, like, oh, if you want to make the bat look like he's flying, use this folded-up piece of accordion paper. Mm-hmm. You know, he he suggests that his dad should do that for his art. Yeah, and his dad actually takes that suggestion and actually, I loved the description of these, the little, they're little dioramas of, um, they're using found objects, making portraits of each member of the family. And, and they're done in cigar boxes. He calls them assemblages, but they're really just dioramas. Mm-hmm. And they're lovely and successful. And I I know why there's not a drawing of one, because you, you know, you're you given enough to imagine your own. Mm-hmm. Um, just it, like would, it wouldn't be the same. If it wouldn't be drawn. the same. And so I understand, but I also really wanted to see them. <laughs> so I just had to imagine real hard what I thought it would look like. His sister is three, and her name is Sal, and she's got this obsession with the toy stuffed whales, but she's also just such a character. Like, she is very Lily from Lily's Purple Plastic Purse. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's very, like, she she kind of just wears her nightgown all the time. <laughs> and inserts herself into every situation. Yeah, she has lots of opinions. <laughs> lots of opinions. Loud ones. Yeah. I know another Lily like that. <laughs> <laughs> and she, I mean, she's very, very endearing. Um, and you see the beginning of, of the relationship that they're probably going to have as older kids. I could see her being the focus for a sequel. Yeah. This reminded me a lot of, um, they made, uh, young reader books for some of Kevin Hinkis's other books. Like little stories from those worlds? Yes, exactly. And they're intended for kids who are above the picture book and board book level, not up to chapter books yet. I mean, we sell a lot of books like that at the bookstore, and we always recommend like The Princess in Black or, or um, Westlandia is a really good one. Yeah, or Mercy Watson. Mercy Watson. So the Mercy <laughs> Watson books are hugely popular. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing compared to The Princess in Black's popularity at our bookstore in particular. But um, so he wrote books like that, and I think for me, this feels like just the next step up. Mm-hmm. Like it's not a book that I would recommend for like. 10, 11-year-olds necessarily, unless they're really reluctant readers, in which case it would be perfect. But, you know, you get those kids who are just outgrowing the really, really easy leveled reader kind of books. Mm -hmm. Or maybe they're even still attached to some of the younger characters. Like, his writing style is so similar that I feel like this would really be great for those kids. Well, I mean, his work in general is just... It's, I think it's easy to just just think of it as pretty and cute. Mm-hmm. Um, and if anything, I've learned over time that anything that seems effortless is probably double the effort. He tells a lot of really sweet stories, and but I think that they're so, so well-crafted. It's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, the, just the thought and the effort and the refining that went into this, obviously, is is amazing it's easy to take a book like this and want to dismiss it because it is so simple but this is a work of art Mm -hmm. (laughs) this book yeah for the right age this is the exact perfect book yeah so the last chapter is the mom and 
I feel like throughout the rest of the book, we don't see the mom a lot. No. Um, she's a high school teacher. Yeah, so she's kind of in the background. She's grading papers. She's, you know, answering questions. She's getting people ready. Um, and I still feel like her section doesn't have an enormous amount about her. No, the the focus really is on what he's doing about her. Like, he, he gets assigned to write a poem about someone at school, and he is really anxious about hurting someone's feelings by leaving one of his family members out, but he chooses his mom. And he writes a poem about her. And that's really what the last section is about. Yeah. And him performing it at school, which he does admirably. And then she cries. And it's all very sweet. It's very, very sweet. Um, so, yeah, this was a really sweet book. Um, a really well done book. And I enjoyed reading it a great deal. I did, too. Um, I didn't really come up with any specific read better thans because for this particular sort of mini genre, I don't think you can get much better than this. Um, and then as far as Rita likes, you know, any of his other books, um, especially the ones for younger readers. Mm-hmm. So when I was thinking about Rita likes, I had this memory of reading a book about a young girl, a young Chinese American girl who, um, goes through a full year of her family's life in a book. And I discovered that it was actually Grace Lynn's first book. It's called The Year of the Dog. And it starts with the family's Chinese New Year celebration. It is the year of the dog. The mom says that this is the year for making new friends. And so um, the main character's name is Grace. I'm assuming that it's autobiographical. It also has little drawings in it. Um, So we see a full year um, in the life of Grace and her family. And it's just really interesting you see her at school, you see her dealing with small racisms and then bigger racisms. You see her making new friends and learning new things and trying to figure out what she's good at, which by the end of the book, she realizes she's good at writing and drawing. It's just a really, really good book. And I, I, I can't help but feel it's like a sister book to this. And there's a sequel. I think it's Year of the Rabbit. I think it is Year of the Rabbit. Yeah, which would I may be, be wrong, but I, I can picture that cover. Yeah, I know it's yellow. Um, so we'll post both of those on the read-alikes. And you know what? I take it back. I can think of one other book that has the same tone as this book, which is El Defo by C.C. Bell. And in that book, um, the main character has a, a much more uh, concrete reason to be anxious and a more concrete reason to be teased, which is that she's deaf. Um, but it still feels a lot the same with like the small school anxieties and interpersonal relationships and things like that and being just really quality. Although that one is, of course, a graphic novel and not um, a regular chapter book. You know, all of these are such incredible reads. So we'll have information about them in the show notes. We said at the beginning of the show that we are drinking an Orange Blossom cocktail. Um, and what do you think? I think it's good. Um, it is a very interesting color. <laughs> it is sort of the color of orange sherbet. Yeah, but like a dull orange sherbet. Yeah. Like a dark, maybe it's been in the freezer too long? Maybe. But that doesn't mean it's ugly. It just means that it's not like a bright, <laughs> fresh orange sherbet, which is like <laughs> you know, traffic cone yeah. color. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, it's good. It tastes, it tastes like most drinks I've had that have tequila and orange juice in them. Mm-hmm. Although, this is gin. I know, but the... Um, 
Oh, the, the, the citronge. The patron citronge, which mm. we were instructed <laughs> to get for this recipe. Um, it really just tastes like tequila. Yeah. Well, uh, maybe it would stand out more if it weren't mixed with orange juice. That's true. But um, I really liked this drink. Um, it is very orangey, which I appreciate. I love oranges. Yep, I like it. Um, I mean, it's just, it doesn't stand out like the last drink that we did. I loved it doesn't have distinct flavors, mm-hmm. but it's it's just a very serviceable mixed drink if you yeah. like fruity flavors. It's bright, happy citrus, mm-hmm. and um, I, I do think this would be a good brunch drink. Yeah, this would be very good at brunch. Yeah. So that's it for the year of Billy Miller. Thanks for joining us for this episode. So the next book that we'll be talking about is Paperboy by Vince Vauder. And we will have an interview with him um, coming up after that as well. Yes. So thank you very much for joining us. See you next time. Production assistance for Newberry Tart is provided by Raphael Siebenman and Liam Grove. Graphic design by Liz Meitinger. Intro and outro by Ariana Hargrave. Theme music for this podcast is provided by the laid back and local Throckmorton Ukulele Band. You can hear more of their music on Facebook. Find more Newberry Tart episodes at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Our website is Newberry Tart. That's N-E-W-B-E-R-Y-T-A-R-T dot com.